Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Navigate podcast, a new series created and organised by Merck. The podcast aims to help listeners to better navigate and understand the changing landscape of the UK's national health system. We'll be providing NHS stakeholders with recommendations on how they can support the optimal delivery of care. My name is Amira Amin, Market Access and Pricing Director for Merck UK and Ireland. Throughout this series, I'll be joined by different leading experts for conversations which explore different views on how service delivery is evolving across a number of conditions. We will also be looking at what the Emerging Integrated Care Systems or ICSs could mean for the NHS and the communities and individuals they serve. In today's episode, we're going to be focused on exploring how the delivery of services for multiple sclerosis, commonly known as MS, could evolve in the NHS. I'm really delighted to welcome Julie Riley, Director of Operations for Neurology at the Walton Centre, and Dr. Mark Cosburn, Consultant Neurologist at North Bristol NHS Trust. I'm looking forward to hearing your views in what I'm sure will be a lively discussion, so thank you for being here. To start, Julie, I'd like to ask you first, how do you think MS services could best evolve over the coming years to help improve patient care? And also what practical steps can be taken to achieve this? I think we've got some really good elements already around good care for MS services. But to improve it even further, I think we need to further develop our MDT work in our multidisciplinary work in and making sure that we've got everybody involved in that. And also from a patient perspective is actually delivering that care closer to home. So for me, it's very much around, you know, we can ask the patient to come to us, but basically the most important thing for patients who do have some severe disabilities with MS, they can't travel. We can't always visit them in their home, but if we can actually develop services that are closer to home in that integrated way, that's got to be the way forward. Another area, which again is is very close to my heart, is around the emotional and psychological support that we provide to these patients. So although we've got our medical model and our nursing model, we're sometimes not particularly good about supporting these patients and their carers indeed from an emotional and psychological perspective there. So I think it's around bringing all that together, looking at what the patient needs, listening to that patient voice, developing further the multidisciplinary working across the full system there. So that's out into social care as well as healthcare there. And also ensuring that we do provide that emotional and psychological support that is required to make them have that fulfilling life. Great. And Mark, I'd like to bring you in on at this point as well. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Julie's hit on some of the, the really important themes that, that, that my patients tell me as well. And there's three main things that the people I'm involved with want. First is easy access. They want to understand the care that they're given. And that sounds like a little thing, but but actually when you think of all the plurality of entry points to a service, all the people that someone who's unwell with a long-term condition like multiple sclerosis might be able to access from their GP to a general neurologist in a peripheral hospital to a specialist MS team. Knowing who to contact about what is, is very important to them. They want that to be convenient. Patients want things to revolve around their life. And all too often when we're thinking about how our services are designed and delivered, what we're measuring, what we're trying to achieve, it's often 
centered around their disease uh, rather than around them as people. So we're focusing on measuring aspects of disease rather than supporting people to live the lives that they have. And thirdly, patients really value continuity, which is one of the big challenges. The, The more people you put into the system, sometimes if you don't do things right, you end up with there being a service where someone might see a different person each time. So a lot around sort of simplicity here, ease for access for patients, bringing services closer to home, especially for those with chronic conditions. Great. So I wanted to move on to a topic which I think is really pertinent at the moment. There are some big changes happening right now in the NHS with respect to the way services and care will be delivered. And I'm, of course, talking about the the introduction of the integrated care systems. Engagement with emerging ICSs will be important for MS services. Have either of you had the opportunity to engage with ICSs yet? I'm in a position where I've moved post at the start of the pandemic. Previously, I I worked uh, down in Dorset and we were in Dorset fairly early to sort of the STP ICS uh, programme, particularly particularly looking at community delivery of neurology services with a focus more on on stroke. Since moving to, to Bristol, I'm aware that I'm probably a little bit further down the pecking order with with things and I, we're just starting here to start to sort of replicate some of the work around stroke that that, that we've said that I, I saw in my previous post I'd be really interested to hear where where Julie's experience is yeah, uh, I think we're in a very privileged position here because we were a vanguard site. So we were able to forge some really good links with our commissioners through that. However, uh, as we all know, the world has moved on. And, you know, since then, we've we've merged CCGs and we've moved into the STP, as, as you'd noted, and also then into the integrated care systems. Our integrated care system is in its infancy, to say the least. We, we've had a number of changes of the, the two most senior people in the integrated care system there. So we're waiting with bated breath at the moment to see what that's going to look like. However, we're quite tenacious and I'm quite tenacious and I was determined that we were going to be part of the programmes that work under the ICSs. And as such, we have actually got a neuro programme board that sits as one of the programmes under the ICSs there. So we've got a direct link in with our chief exec into the ICS locally there, which which is, is really good. However, I am conscious that having spoken to quite a lot of the neuro managers around the country, you know, not everyone is as privileged as you and I have been, Mark. And to that effect, really, I think it's about how you can find out what the priorities are within the ICSs and ensure that how you're going to deliver your neurology services actually fit with what those priorities are. And also uh, another thing to consider is around the um, the level of maturity and the, the stage of maturity that the ICSs are at. They're all at different stages throughout the country. So therefore, if you can get that early engagement as they're developing and as the CCGs are moving into the ICS process there, that would be really, really good if you could do that before April 2022 when they actually come on board fully. 
Judy, I think that sort of nicely moves on to um, something I'm sure listeners will be interested to hear more about is, is your thoughts on the, the main opportunities and, and challenges ICSs could present to, to transform the delivery of MS care and services. I think it's very much about engaging with what the priorities are within the ICSs. And that's from a full system perspective as well. So it's not just around health, it's around what's happening around social care and housing, etc. And then trying to determine how we can deliver our services to meet those needs. So how can we release that strain upon the system there? So the opportunities that we've managed to forge there are around looking at the MS Optimal Path pathway that crosses the whole of all the services integrating it from you know start to finish from from housing from social care from people accessing health either through the GP or through their A&Es etc so I think it's looking for how you are going to deliver your neurology services but then how you can actually tap into what the priorities and what the challenges are in that wider health system. However, I think one of the fundamental things that we have to do from neurology is try to raise our profile, both nationally and locally. And that is one of the big areas that we need to put some focus on as both clinical and managerial leadership team or operational team, because until we've actually gotten our voice heard loudly at that ICS table and on that agenda, it's quite difficult for them to think about how can we have a bigger influence on on the wider system. Great. And Mark, I can see you're nodding. And when Julie's talking, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the most powerful thing that that Julie has said there, which really struck a chord with me, is is really about getting the voice of people who are involved in delivering and designing services for people with uh, with neurological conditions being heard more clearly that thought really encapsulates what we should be trying to to achieve really what what the main opportunity is which is the fact that all too often i've seen patients who i look after with multiple sclerosis slip through gaps have needs which can be predicted could be managed and for a variety of reasons those aren't picked up on in a timely enough way and people end up in in crisis and with the previous models of you know big purchaser provider splits community care versus hospital care what you end up doing is too often designing a sort of a rescue system for someone in crisis that centres around a hospital admission being the way that that can be achieved, which I don't think is really what anyone wants from the patients and their families to doctors and other medical staff looking after them whilst they're in, to the, the people who are commissioning care, because let's face it, hospitals are the most expensive part of any health system. And I guess the, the big thing here is that integrating across the, the patient pathway and that communication, and that seems to come across as quite a key opportunity, but also a challenge. What are your thoughts around, you know, how can we try and improve that communication across secondary care, primary care, et cetera? Yeah, I think what we've got to do in the first instance is we need to be communicating in the same place and on the same platform. And I think that if we are going to truly integrate health systems, the first thing we have to integrate are our IT systems. That's a 
patchwork at the moment across the country from systems which are using or have ways of seeing each other's data. But that should be seamless. That should be a single portal where it's easy for everyone to communicate with each other in one space. And if we are really interested in working together to benefit our patients, the first thing we've got to get right is that communication tool and the IT that subserves that. Great. And I think if we focus on some of the key opportunities, what for you really stands out as potentially something we really need to be thinking of and grasping on when we talk about MS services? What are the opportunities that really um, are at play? The first and most obvious thing within the service that, that, that I work in for people with multiple sclerosis is that there is a real opportunity to do much better for those patients who are living with high levels of disability. So we're talking about people who will have significant difficulties with, with mobilising, might be using wheelchairs, likely to have need for adapted housing, likely to need lots of appliances and assistance through community services, occupational therapists, speech and language therapists might have communication and nutrition needs. And pretty much across the board with some isolated examples of very good practice. The care for people in that group has been where MS services has been most efficient. There are good reasons for that. The advent of disease-modifying therapies for people with relapsing-remitting disease has necessarily, and quite rightly, uh, led to a lot of investment in services for people with that particular subtype of MS and providing the necessary monitoring to ensure that the right people are getting the right treatments and those are being prescribed and monitored safely. But that means that unavoidably, the eye has been taken off the ball for people living with higher levels of disability, whose needs are actually much more complex and who are going to involve many more different agencies and different problems. And I think that's where I see the earliest and the most significant gains. And by creating pathways and really beefing up that end of our, our pathway, thinking of uh, you know, the, the end of a pathway as being, being the most important bit. You know, after all, if you run 25 miles of a marathon and then stop, you, you, you don't get your finishers medal. You've got to get that bit absolutely right is the, the best opportunity, the easiest opportunity we have to make a substantial difference relatively quickly. And in most places, those services are out there. In a lot of places, they do work well. But I think in most places, they can work better through better integration, better communication, ease of pathways. Because if your speech therapy is being delivered by you know, community interest company A, but your physiotherapy is being delivered by at community NHS Trust B, the monitoring of your diabetes is being done by your GP. And then you've got an MS nurse who might not be based in the community because you've always been attached to the tertiary centre and she works there, which may be 30 miles away from your home, which isn't suitable for you because it's got five flights of stairs and is on a hill. There's got to be ways in which we can make that, which sounds very complex, much more simple. Yeah, sound very complicated for the patient. You both really nicely outlined the opportunities and challenges to look out for. What practical recommendations and actions do you think 
need to be taken for ICSs to deliver on the opportunities that you've both just spoken about? Um, Judy, what, what advice would you provide? For me, the practical recommendations are, are getting to know your, your ICSs, getting to know the people in there, getting to know what their interests are, and then you know working alongside them to, to what we've said before is to actually raise the profile and get the voice heard around neurology. I think also we need to be very cognizant of not focusing on one particular area in neurology. And although we're all very passionate about our subspecialties, etc., I think to get you know, uh, neurology on the agenda. It has to be talking about it from the wider system perspective there. So for me, it's very much understanding, again, what the priorities are from a system perspective. Where are those challenges there? And I very much agree with what Mark's saying there. It is about us looking about how we can integrate our services better, work together, stop having these boundaries, stop having the territories there, stopping having all this nonsense around funding. Because at the end of the day, there's a patient in the middle of this that actually just needs the service and they don't care who delivers that service. All they want is a seamless service that's going to be delivered where they need it to be delivered there. So I think for me, it is about having that dialogue and conversations with the people that are going to commission the services, but also working together both from a clinical perspective and from an operational management perspective as one voice and one body going forward and showing that strong leadership. And do you think you're going to need that to identify some of those clinical champions or torchbearers who can, who can engage with ICSs? Yeah, very much so. And I think, you know, if we, if we can give our clinicians the headspace and the time to do that and, you know, our clinical leaders, then we've got to go jointly to do it. There's no point me going as, as the divisional director. I need my medical colleagues by the side of me and my nursing colleagues there so that we're all saying the same thing. And then the real strong voice that's, that would support that with us is the patients. And Mark, what, what would be your key recommendations? My key recommendation would be to always, when you're trying to you know, develop, say, a, a condition-specific pathway, to always engage beyond and have your key clinical people who are working on that, not just being the people who are the most interested in it, if you really want your system to work. The reason I say that is if I'm the person leading the design of a multiple sclerosis service, I'm going to make that a very blinkered, maybe quite good, but incredibly narrow MS-focused service. And what we've got to remember when we're integrating is that what we want to avoid is simply changing the polarity of the disintegration from it being between community and, and hospital care and instead having the barriers between people with, with different conditions. Because if we do that, which it's very easy to do inadvertently, if you are getting a stroke expert to be the only, only clinical voice in a stroke pathway, an MS expert to be the only M expert in an MS pathway, a PD expert for, the, for, for a Parkinson's pathway, what we should always be thinking about is where are the commonalities between conditions? certainly across neurology, as, as, as Judy suggested, but also uh, across different conditions and in terms of in different specialities. You know, the sort of work that's being done in, in, in diabetes will 
benefit some people in stroke. The, sort of the education focus after heart attack, can those processes with different information will also be valuable to people with multiple sclerosis. So that's the, that's my key recommendation is to it, not forget that a Rolls-Royce integrated pathway for condition A does not exist in isolation. The health system is dealing with conditions from A to Z. Great. So it's so best practice sharing. Absolutely. And also, and also looking at ways in which things, in which service delivery can be a bit more generic, if you like, or a bit more holistic so that we can utilize the skills of someone in one role to benefit not just the people with the condition that they're designed to be looking at, but beyond that. Wonderful. So we are coming to to the end of our time together. Um, Thank you very much, Julie and Mark, for your time on today's podcast. Your perspective and understanding of the MS landscape will surely give us plenty of food for thought over the next few months and into 2022. If you have any comments on this episode or would like to know more about a particular topic, please leave us a comment below. You can also subscribe to our LinkedIn channel for future podcast episodes. But for now, from me, Amira Amman, thank you for listening and goodbye.